All right, so we are starting a new um, topical series tonight. And for this series, we're going to be tackling a different question each week. And we're going to see how the Bible answers this question and how it helps us to think through it. And as we go through this, we're going to try to pick questions that we think are just especially relevant for you guys as college students. Um, but as I mentioned, the question that we're going to start with tonight is what is God's will for my life? Right, what is God's will for my life? How do I discern God's will for my life? And um, this is something that we've taught on before, actually, in Beacon, maybe a couple years ago. But I think it's probably one of those things that should go in the regular rotation of just like what we teach in college or ministry, because I think it's such an important topic for us to understand. Um, but I want to start by just uh, having you think of these scenarios with me. Okay, so imagine this is happening in your life, and maybe it is. So you have worked hard in college and you are presented with two offer letters. Um, one pays you more, but it requires you to move somewhere brand new. And the other one pays you less, but you can stay at home and you can keep going to the church that you've been going to. Uh, what do you do? Or uh, let's imagine another scenario. Your parents, they insist that you, along with all of your siblings, uh, they insist that you pursue medicine. Uh, but it's it's not really like something that you're passionate about. And maybe you can get by, right? You can honor like their desires for you. Maybe you even get into med school, but you know that it's not really what you would choose for yourself. And so what do you do with your life? Uh, how about this? The elders at your church, they have plans to plant a church and they are sending your fearless and your beloved college pastor to plant the church. Do you go with him? Right, do you move and do you go to the church plant with him? Uh, last one, you've been dating your boyfriend or girlfriend um, throughout college, but graduation's on the horizon. One of you is moving across the country indefinitely for uh, a new job or, or maybe grad school. And you know that long distance relationship is going to be really tough. And so do you guys decide to stay together? Or you can go on and on when it comes to these various kinds of scenarios. And um, yeah, like how do you make these kinds of decisions? I mean, how do you know what God's will is for you in these kinds of situations? And maybe as you kind of think through those uh, scenarios I just mentioned, you'd feel like it would be a lot easier if God just told you what to do, right? If he just like pointed you a certain direction um, or gave you like a sign from heaven if he just told you what to do, uh, it would spare you a lot of confusion. It would, it would save you a lot of uh, stress and trouble. Now, to be clear, the Bible does teach us that, or that wisdom is very valuable. Right? And um, we see that in the Proverbs. Uh, it talks about how the wise person knows how to skillfully navigate through life. The wise person prospers. And on the other hand, the foolish person uh, shuns knowledge and it leads to destruction. And we just finished Ecclesiastes. We saw that, in, saw that in Ecclesiastes as well, right? We learned that wisdom, it doesn't give you the ability to master or to manipulate life, but it's still valuable, right? It's rare and it's something that we need to seek. Um, but the Bible teaches us that you don't have to learn the hard way. Okay? You don't have to learn by experience. You can uh, know these things ahead of time or you can uh, yeah, prepare yourself ahead of time um, before you, you make these decisions. But what, I, what we're talking about tonight is knowing God's will for the direction of our lives. 
right? When you, when you reach a path or a fork in the road, which path do you choose to take? And I think, unfortunately, when uh, a lot of Christians, when it comes to this topic, they misunderstand and they actually believe all kinds of different, like, wacky things when it comes to uh, discerning God's will. Let me give you an example. In Judges 6, there is a story about one of the leaders of Israel uh, named Gideon. Maybe you're familiar with the story, but God directs Gideon to gather the Israelite troops against uh, the Midianites, who were the enemies of Israel. But Gideon, he is, he's not sure, right? And so he wants to be sure. And so he, he uh, asked God for a sign. And he asked not once, but he asked twice, actually. And the sign that he wants God to give him is, is he puts out a, a wool fleece. And he asks God to make that fleece wet while keeping the ground dry. And then the second time, he actually, it's vice versa. Um, but God, being extremely patient and extremely merciful, he actually gives Gideon that sign. He confirms what he wants Gideon to do by giving him, uh, by making the fleece wet or giving him the sign, right? Affirming um, what Gideon thinks God wants him to do. And people have taken uh, stories like that or other instances like that in the Bible. And they, they take that and they overemphasize the search for these subjective signs from God. Um, Kevin DeYoung, he's a pastor. He wrote a book about the will of God, uh, which I commend to you guys, it's, it's titled Just Do Something, but this is the subtitle of the book. I think he captures this well. He says, how do you make a decision, how to make a decision without dreams, visions, fleeces, impressions, open doors, random Bible verses, casting lots, liver shivers, writing in the sky. And I, I know that kind of sounds silly, but um, misunderstanding God's will as described in scripture is not only wrong, but it could actually be kind of dangerous. We misunderstand God's will. It might lead us to disappointment. It might lead us to confusion um, or even acting in ways that are just straight up unbiblical. And so for tonight, I hope to provide some clarity um, when it comes to this topic. All right. How do we discern? How do we know God's will for our lives? Now, part of the reason I think for the confusion when it comes to God's will is because when you look in the Bible, it actually talks about God's will in two different ways. Um, Deuteronomy 29, 29, this is what it says. It says, it says, the secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. And so when you look in that verse, we see that there are uh, two categories of things, right? There are the secret things, which Moses says belong to God. And then there are the things that are revealed. And Moses says that they belong to us and to our children. Okay, so from that verse, we see that there is an aspect of God's will that he has intended for us to know. But there's another aspect to his will that he doesn't intend for us to know. And theologians have uh, created names for this. Um, they call it God's hidden will versus his revealed will. Um, another way they, they describe it is God's will of decree. Uh, versus God's will of desire or his will of command. Um, but let's, let's take a look at each of them. Okay, so we'll look at God's hidden will first. God's hidden will. And this is all that he has decreed, all that he has ordained. Um, so, so everything that happens in the universe, everything that happens in your life takes place because God has willed it. Okay, whether we're talking about COVID-19, whether we are talking about the most catastrophic natural disaster, 
uh, or the movement of the smallest atom that happens because God has willed it. He has decreed it. Uh, some passages for you, Matthew 10, 29, it says that not one sparrow falls to the ground apart from the father. Um, or Romans 13, 1, it says that even the governing authorities are in place because God has established it. Uh, you think back to the most recent election, there were some people, um, Christians even, who were claiming election fraud, right? They were saying that, you know, God wanted Donald Trump as our president. Um, and this verse says that, no, right? Like whoever it is that's in office of president, they're there because God has willed it. Uh, God's hidden will, God's, God's will of decree always comes to pass no matter what. Okay, whatever he decrees happens. And as the name says, this aspect of God's will, it is hidden from us. Okay, it's hidden from us. He hasn't told us everything. And from our human perspective, uh, we simply don't know this aspect of God's will. We don't know these things. We don't know what these things are until they happen, until they happen to us. A um, couple more passages for you guys. Isaiah 46, 9 to 10. It says, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Um, Psalm 33, 11, the counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. And then Proverbs 16, 33 says, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Okay, so we see this all throughout scripture, right? Whatever God wills happens, and this, this is beyond us. This is so much greater than us. Well, at this point, you might be thinking, well, if God's hidden will means that he has decreed everything, does that include both good and evil? Right? And, and we don't have um, time to go more, more into like all the mechanisms of that, exactly how that works. Uh, but the short answer for now is yes. It, it does mean that. And scripture affirms that. Uh, I want you guys to think back to the story of Joseph and his brothers um, in Genesis. And uh, Joseph's brothers, they get jealous of him because of how uh, their father seems to play favorites. And so they gang up together and they sell Joseph into slavery. But what happens from that actually is that Joseph ends up rising in power in Egypt. And then he ends up um, gaining favor and actually saving the nation from famine. And there's that famous verse in Genesis 50, 20, um, at the end of all of this. And it says, as for you, you meant evil against me but God meant it for good, right? You meant evil against me, but God meant all of this for good. Uh, an even more significant example of both good and evil being contained within uh, God's hidden will is the cross of Christ, right? It's the gospel. Um, Acts 4, 27 to 28, it says, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. You get what they said there? It says, Jesus' death on the cross, predestined by God's hand and plan to take place. Right? The cross, which was the pinnacle of human evil, um, even that ultimately served God's greater purposes. Right? Even that was used by God to accomplish redemption and salvation and the forgiveness of sins and to give us eternal life. 
And so for us, that means that even though we might not always understand God's purposes, that we simply have to trust his wisdom. Right? When it comes to this question, okay, what is tomorrow going to bring for me? What is uh, the rest of my life going to look like? What am I going to do? Who am I going to be with? The answer is we simply don't know. Right? We simply don't know these things. They're hidden from us um, until it actually happens to us. And it's not something for us to find out. We don't know the answer, but God does. And we know from scripture that whatever tomorrow brings, whatever God uh, brings to pass is going to serve his purposes. So that's God's hidden will or his will of decree. Um, the second kind of aspect of God's will is his revealed will, his revealed will. And this is also known as his will of command. Um, this is what God has chosen to make known to us, namely through his work. So, so whereas God's hidden will, it always comes to pass no matter what, God's revealed will, it can be either obeyed or disobeyed. It can be broken. Um, let me just give you some examples. First Thessalonians 4.3 says, for this is the will of God. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Um, same book, just one chapter later, First Thessalonians 5.18 it says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Okay, so you, we read those two verses. I want you to think about your past week. Have you done those things? Have you abstained from sexual immorality? Have you given thanks in all circumstances? Because Paul says that is God's will for your life. And I'm guessing, guessing uh, the answer for many of us, if we're honest, is no, right? Like we, this past week, we've had lustful thoughts. Uh, we've grumbled about something. Uh, we complained about something. And so if that's true, what have you done, right? What is, what is uh, this, these verses tell you that you've done? Well, you've gone against God's will for your life. Right? You have not kept God's will for you. And so uh, God's will of, or God's revealed will, this will of command, it's something that can be broken. That's how it's different um, <clears throat> from God's hidden will, God's will of decree. I think understanding both of these aspects of God's will has uh, a number of different implications, but I just want to point out a few. Okay, we're going to uh, have three points for us, why this is important for us to understand. Number one is it helps us to categorize certain things that happen in our lives in a way that is biblical. It helps us categorize certain things that happen in our lives in a way that is biblical. So knowing that this is what scripture teaches about the will of God helps us to make sense of the confusion. You know, when you look around at the world today and you see things like COVID or you see uh, in the news like violence against Asian Americans, um, race tensions, political turmoil, uh, when you see things like prominent Christian leaders uh, like failing morally, how can you really say that God's will is being done? And maybe you've wondered that for yourself. How can you really say that God's will is, is happening? Uh, when your friend or your family member continues to reject the gospel, how can you really say that God's will is being done? And, and listen, those aren't easy questions to answer, right? We have to acknowledge that we do live in this tension between God's hidden will, what he has decreed, and his revealed will, what he wants, right? What he desires. We live in that tension sometimes. 
And there is an uncomfortableness to the reality that God seems to decree certain things that are clearly against his revealed will in order to accomplish his greater purposes. But I think having these categories like this that we learn from scripture, it helps us to affirm at least two things. Okay, first, we can affirm that God is in control and whatever happens is indeed in his will. There's nothing that happens that's outside of God's control. And even more than that, Romans 8, 28, it says that he is able to work all of your pain, all of your loss, all of your suffering, um, even evil itself. He's able to work all things for the good of those who love him. Okay, so we can affirm that God is totally sovereign no matter what. The second thing we can also affirm is that God isn't just this far off, like sovereign ruler who just, who doesn't care about anything. Or we can affirm that God doesn't delight in sin or pain. Um, in 2 Peter 3.9, it says that God is patient with the lost, with the, the unbelieving, because he doesn't desire any to perish. Um, in John 11, we learn that Jesus, he wept over the death of his friend Lazarus, even though he knew that he would soon raise Lazarus from the dead soon afterwards. Number two, it focuses us on getting to know God's revealed will for our lives through his word. It focuses us on getting to know God's revealed will for our lives through his word. So as I mentioned earlier, many of us, we are very eager to find out God's will for our lives. And uh, that's not a bad thing, right? We want to plan. You want to uh, know what's coming right ahead. We, uh, we should be seeking the Lord's leading and decisions where there is no real black or white, where there's no clear right or wrong. And for you guys as college students, you are in a season where there are so many of those decisions, right? Where you're trying to discern God's will. But we need to be cautious about being so caught up in asking these kinds of questions that we lose sight of the answers that God has already provided. Uh, this is something that we've learned repeatedly throughout our time in Ecclesiastes, isn't it? Right? As much as we, we might try to, that we are unable to master or control our short vapor-like lives. That's what we learn in Ecclesiastes. And so at the very end of that book, right, it said in light of that, our chief end, or Solomon says, our whole duty um, is what? It's to fear God and to keep his commandments, right? That is the most important thing uh, that we need to do. If that's what you care about most, to fear God and keep his commandments, then you'll be all right. And I think that's a similar idea here that God's hidden will isn't meant for you to know ahead of time, um, but God's revealed will has been given to you, right? It's been revealed to you um, specifically through his word. A couple passages here. Um, 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17 says that God has given us his God-breathed word, his inspired word, so that we might be complete, equipped for every good work. Um, or 2 Peter 1, 3, it says that God has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Uh, Romans 12, 2, it's a familiar verse for many of us. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Uh, now, what does Paul mean there when he says discern the will of God? Well, he's not talking about figuring out everything that God intends to do, right? It's not like knowing exactly what God has planned for you but it is to discern God's revealed will. It is, it's to discern what we ought to do. And how does that happen? Well, Paul says it happens by the renewal of your mind. He says he renews our minds by his word 
And the more and more time that you spend in scripture, the more you become shaped and governed by it so that you begin to see and you begin to assess everything with the mind of Christ. Right? And God um, conforms your will to his will. And so the point is, if you want to know God's will for your life, then get to know his word. And uh, in doing that, it might not answer all of the questions that you're asking. It might not tell you exactly everything you want to know, but it will answer all of the questions that you should be asking. And it will equip you with all that you need to know. Uh, let's take dating, for example. I'm guessing that probably at least some of you, you've spent like a good amount of time thinking about dating. Maybe you're wondering like, oh, should I ask this person out? Um, should we start dating? When should we start dating? And these are important questions to think through. Don't get me wrong. But I think, I think sometimes where we uh, err, where we go wrong sometimes is when we start to think that the answers, answers to those questions are the most important thing. As if the whole success of your dating or even your married life depends on making the right choice. Right? You have this like kind of notion of marrying the one. Right. And the assumption behind that is like, okay, if I find that person, if I if if I'm in God's will, then life is going to be easy. Life is going to be comfortable. We're never going to fight. Life it's just going to be happily ever after. Well, what is God's will for you in dating? It is not primarily about who or when or if you choose to date. God's priority for you in dating, his will for you in your dating is for you to be godly. Whether you are single, whether you're married whether you marry this person or whether you marry that person. Um, Same thing applies to your future job, your career. The most important thing to God, according to scripture, isn't where you go. It's not even what kind of work you do. It is your Christ-likeness. It is your sanctification, not your occupation. Now, let me talk about the idea of calling a little bit. Um, Maybe you've heard someone say, you know, I think God is calling me to go here or to do this. And I know that like not everyone means the same thing when they use that word. Uh, but let me talk about calling in the context of uh, like career vocation, because I think that's how often how uh, that's how we use it. Right. So if someone asks, OK, what is your calling? Often we interpret that as like, OK, what, what job or what career did God create me to do? And I think like that that kind of thinking is appealing uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, one, it gives us this like sense of significance, right? It's like, okay, I'm doing what I was called to do. I didn't just like randomly end up here. I know God created me uh, to be like a software developer for Apple. That's who God made me to be. And so like, if I believe that, then I get through when times are hard, right? Because this is like, this is my calling. Or uh, maybe another reason I think that kind of thinking appeals to us is if you're doing something like outside of what you think your calling is, or you're not enjoying it, you're not having fun, then there's always that hope of like, okay, things are going to get better, right? Because I'm not in my calling, right? My true calling is somewhere else. Um, you notice how we, we use this word calling for like stuff that is significant or spiritual or like things that we find fulfilling. <clears throat> well, let me tell you how the Bible uses the word calling. Okay, 90% of the time, if you were to do a, a word study on that word, Um, calling in scripture, 90% of the time, it refers to either the act of naming something. So for example, you shall call him Isaac, right? Used in that way, or the act of crying out or summoning someone, like you call for someone. Besides those instances, 
The word calling, it describes, uh, it's used to describe our salvation, the general call to believe in the gospel, right? When someone preaches the gospel, we see that in Matthew 9, 13, um, it describes the calling of the effectual call of the Holy Spirit. So God calling people to himself. You see that in Romans 8, 30. Um, <clears throat> it talks about your position, your identity as a member of God's people. First uh, Corinthians 1, 2. Uh, it also describes the call of a prophet or apostle. Yeah, that's, that's like how the word calling is used in the Bible. So basically the Bible doesn't talk about calling like this, like single big thing that defines you or that makes up your entire life. It doesn't talk about calling it in terms of your vocation, your career. There is an instance where it does talk about calling um, in a way that's closer to maybe what we have in mind. And it's in first Corinthians seven. So if you guys have your Bibles, you can actually turn there. First Corinthians seven. 17 to 24. <clears throat> so in this passage, he is actually talking to bond servants and um, he's talking about their relationships with their masters. And he's going to, he's going to talk to married people and single people later on. And it's, it's kind of the same ideas that he's talking about. Um, but if you look in these verses, first Corinthians seven, 17 to 24, you'll notice that Paul uses the word call many, many times in these verses. And um, he talks about the time of his call. That's when they were saved. That's when they became a Christian. Um, Most of the times that he uses the word call, it has to do with the moment that someone got saved. Okay, but if you look in verse 17, uh, we have a different use of the word call. Paul says, only let each person lead the life that God has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Now, I think in that verse, he's using uh, something that's pretty common throughout the Bible, which is parallelism, uh, which is one phrase helps us to understand what he means in this other phrase. He's saying the same thing. Okay, so he says, whatever the Lord has assigned to him, I think it means the same thing as to which God has called him. So in other words, God's calling for you is the entire set of circumstances that makes up your life. God's calling for you is whatever the Lord has assigned to you. Okay, so let me put it like this. Uh, this passage teaches us that you are already called. You are already called. Who you are, where you are, what you're doing, the people that you know, what you know right now, the circumstances that God has assigned to you right now, that is your calling. It's not just, okay, where am I going to end up? It's not, what will I do in the future? But this passage says, your calling is where God has put me right now. And so from that, we learn that your job is never the most important thing about you. Faithfulness in your life, it's never confined to just faithfulness in just this one area of your life. Um, Here's another thing, verse 21. It teaches us that these circumstances, whatever God has assigned to you, that those things can change. Right? Look at verse 21. He says, were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself or, or take advantage, is what he means, of the opportunity. Okay? So Paul says, if you're in a situation where you feel trapped, where, uh, where you no longer enjoy it, God can change that. But his point here is while you're in the middle of it, while you are in these circumstances that God has assigned to you, don't just focus all of your energy into how you can get out. Rather, focus on how you can be faithful in it while God would still have you there. 
And he's going to say the same thing. The same thing applies to a singleness in dating. He's going to, or singleness in marriage. Um, he's going to talk about later in the chapter. And so what does this mean for us? It means that if our calling from this passage describes the entirety of our lives to God, then we can loosen our grip a little bit on that one big thing that we think we're supposed to do or have, right? So maybe you're thinking, I absolutely must get into med school <clears throat> or my life will be over. Or maybe it's even a, a more uh, like sanctified desire. You're like, you're like, okay, I, I must go on missions. You know, that is what I think God has called me to do. And maybe it has, that's a good desire. But this passage shows us like your life is not defined by this one thing. Your calling is, is, God, is the, the circumstances that God has assigned to you right now. So listen, when we're able to loosen our grips, then we can actually humbly ask for, and we can listen to, and we can receive counsel from others in our decision-making. Right? We, when, we, when we're not so tightly gripped to this one thing that we, we think defines us, then we can humbly ask other people, okay, what job do you think allows me to steward well the ways that God has made me and gifted me? Or we can humbly ask someone else, hey, brother, sister, um, what do you think I should do in this situation, knowing my unique weaknesses and temptations? And so how do we make decisions wisely? How do we make decisions in a way that pleases the Lord? Uh, Let me just give you a few questions to consider. Um, One is, what does the Bible say about it? Like, what is the Bible clear about? What clear markers and boundaries has scripture set up to help you guide your decision making? Um, two, what is the wisest choice? Choice. So you, you have to recognize that oftentimes you're not necessarily choosing between like good or bad or right or wrong, but what's better and what's best. Right? So when you weigh everything, what is um, the wisest choice? Third, what do you want to do? Right? If you've answered these first two questions and you have desire for one over the other, um, I think God honors that. Right? What is it that you want to do? What is your desire? And then fourth, have you sought wise counsel from others? Have you asked other people who know you well um, for their advice or for their input? And I want to really emphasize the importance of humility here in our decision-making. Because you can ask others for counsel. You can hear what they have to say. But unless you're actually humble about it, you're still going to do what you want. Right? That's the truth. You're going to do what you want if you're not humble. And so are you humble and honest about counting the cost of make, making certain decisions? Are you honest about the implications of this option over the other option on your spiritual life? Are you humbly seeking the Lord in prayer for direction? <clears throat> when we understand that our goal, our responsibility is to follow God's revealed will for our lives in scripture, then realize it is incredibly freeing, isn't it? You don't have to be wondering whether you're in or out of God's will. We don't have to be afraid of making the wrong choices or paralyzed um, by second-guessing our plans. God is sovereign enough to not only know all of those decisions ahead of time, but even to ordain them and even to orchestrate them for his greater plan. And so therefore, whoever, uh, whether and who you marry, what job you end up with, Uh, what church you choose to become a member of, all of these things, all of these decisions, they are simply tools in God's hand to serve his glory and to serve your good. And our greatest need is not to know the detailed plan of God, but to know God himself. And for us, we need to learn to put aside our obsession with knowing the future. And we need to recognize that God with you today, knowing him today is better than this detailed knowledge of your tomorrow.
Uh, Kevin DeYoung, he puts it like this uh, from that book I mentioned, Just Do Something. He says, God's will for our lives is much simpler than the conventional approach. The will of God for our lives is that we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. The most important decision we face is the daily decision to live for Christ and to die to self. If we do those two things, then we are free to choose between jobs and schools and locations. God wants us to stop obsessing about the future and trust that he holds the future. All right, so, so far we've looked at um, why understanding these two categories or what scripture teaches us about God's will is important. First, we said that it helps us categorize the things that happen in our lives in a way that's biblical. Um, second, it focuses us on getting to know God's revealed will for our lives through his, wo- through his word. <clears throat> and lastly, it reminds us of our need to surrender to and trust in God's sovereign will for our lives. Now, so far, we've spent a lot of time um, talking about submitting to God's will for your life when things are unclear. Right. Like, for example, um, where do I go to school? Uh, which job should I choose uh, when things are unclear? Right. We don't know option A or option B. But what about doing God's revealed will when circumstances are not just unclear, but when they are unfavorable? What about when things are hard? You see, it's, it's one thing to pursue the will of God when you have to decide between two very appealing options. Right. Like, do I do this six figure job up? Uh, here in SoCal, or do I do this six-figure job up in, in NorCal, right? What do I choose? And that's, that's still a, a big decision, but I mean, that's different, right? It's an entirely different thing to accept and embrace God's will when you're in the middle of trial and suffering, when life is hard, when you're hurting, when you've applied to dozens of jobs and you still haven't even gotten an interview, or when you have to miss out on um, in-person graduation your senior year of college. When your parent is in the hospital, right? What do you do? Uh, or how do you embrace God's will then, right? That's a lot different than like, okay, what option do I choose? Option A or option B? But recognize that what makes it difficult isn't just those circumstances themselves, but it's also our own hearts. Um, there's a poem <clears throat> by a, na- a man named William Ernest Henley. Uh, it's titled Invictus. And I think it describes just, this struggle or this challenge so well. He says, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. I mean, I think that is such a a accurate description of us, right? Of our desires. We want to be captains of our own lives. We want to uh, be the masters of our own fate. And so we struggle understandably, right? When we're no longer in control. When God has given us uh, circumstances that like we don't want. And maybe that's you tonight. And when you think about God's will, it's not so much like, okay, which option should I choose? But why are things the way that they are? Why are my circumstances? Why is my life the way that it is? And if that's you, then I want you to know that there is one who can sympathize with you in your struggle. Um, Turn with me to Matthew 26. One more passage here that we'll turn to. Matthew 26. It will be in 20, uh, verses 36 to 42. And this is an appropriate passage as we are coming up on Passion Week and Easter. Um, but in this passage, this is the night that Jesus is about to be arrested. And uh, Matthew tells us that Jesus' soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Um, he is like falling on his face. Uh, why is he like this? Well, it's because for the first time, Jesus is getting a taste of the cross that is awaiting him. Um, look at verse 39. 
right? Jesus says, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And then verse 42, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. I know this is a familiar passage for many of us, but I want you to just like stop and think about that phrase for a second. Your will be done. Like, What does that mean? I mean, even from a human perspective, uh, to say your will be done is you are handing the keys to your life to someone else. Now, all of your, your dreams, your desires, your loves, your preferences, your hopes, your plans, you are releasing that, you are uh, giving that over, and you are embracing the will of another person. Whatever they have for you, even if it means loss and suffering, you're saying, you get to control my life. And Jesus says here, if there is any other way to do this, Father, right? If there's any other way to accomplish salvation, let me have that instead. But he says, not as I will, but as you will. I mean, as you think about that, do you feel how difficult that is? Right? To say to someone else, uh, like, it's even hard to say that to someone who, know, you know, loves you, right? Like, your will be done for my life. But do you feel how difficult that is? Do you feel how much help we need in being okay with embracing the will of another, especially when it means loss and suffering? I just realized when we talk about trusting God because he is good and he is wise and he is loving, understand that he is a God who not only tells us that he loves us, but a God who demonstrates that to us as well. When we see in this passage, if there was any other way to accomplish salvation aside from the cross, if there's any other way, God would have done it. And yet there was no other way, right? In order to win salvation for us, Jesus had to die for us. God had to kill his own innocent son for us. I mean, that is how much God loves you. If God was willing to do that, Romans 8, 32, it says, if he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, then how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And so when you think about God's will and what that might mean for your life, right? When you think about what it means to embrace his will for your life, even if it means trial, even if it means suffering, Realize that the worst, that the scariest thing that it could ever bring your way, the worst thing that embracing God's will could ever mean has already come on Christ. I mean, no one understands better than him how difficult it can be to embrace the will of God. And no human being suffered more in embracing the will of God, the Father, than God the Son. And because Christ chose to submit to the Father's will rather than to cling tightly to his own, um, the Bible teaches us the gospel story. We have been brought near to the Father. Because he chose to submit to the Father's will rather than cling tightly, tightly to his own, we know that we have a God who is for us and not against us. And if that is who God is, then that means that we can trust him whatever he brings into our lives. We can say with Jesus, not my will, but your will be done. So whether it means stepping out in faith and making a decision, or whether it means patiently uh, and faithfully enduring the present circumstances that God has assigned to you right now, uh, guys, we are not called to figure it all out, but we are called to trust in the unchanging character of God. And what does the Bible teach us about the character of God? Well, Psalm 23, it says that he is your shepherd. 
that he makes you lie down in green pastures. He leads you beside still waters. He restores your soul and leads you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It says that the character of God uh, promises you that surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. And Psalm 23 says that when you begin to really comprehend that, when you really begin to, to know God as your shepherd, then the psalmist concludes in that psalm, I shall not want. I shall not want. I shall not want because I'm content to be led by my shepherd. And I trust him and I surrender to him and I pray with faith, not my will, but yours be done. Uh, let me just close by giving you this example. Many of you know Tim Keller. <clears throat> he is the pastor of Redeemer, or I guess he used to be the pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York. Um, and I read an interview and he talks about the very beginning of his ministry when he and his wife uh, first moved to Manhattan to start that church. And a bunch of people would ask, um, ask him and they say, hey, are you sure that God has called you to start this church? And this is how he would respond. He says, no, I, I think he did. I see an opportunity. I don't see anybody else taking the opportunity. I feel an obligation to come. I think it's a good idea. I think God's calling me, but I can't be absolutely sure. I, mean, I can be sure that I must not lie. It's in the Bible. I can be sure that I must not bow down to idols. It's in the Bible. I can be sure of a lot of things that are God's will. But as far as I know, I won't be sure that I'm called to plant a church until it happens. And so he's talking about God's revealed will, God's hidden will there. You see that? Well, the follow-up question to this was naturally, well, like, were you at peace about it? If you, like, if you didn't know, right, if God's calling you to do this, then how'd you feel about it? Were you at peace about it? Um, and this is how he would respond. He said, no, uh, it was too hard of a decision. It was too scary. But I know this, and this is the key part. Guidance is as much something God does as it is something he gives. Guidance is as much something God does as it is something he gives. Therefore, I knew that by selling my house uh, and moving up here and signing a three-year lease, that if I failed to plant a church, God was preparing me for something that I couldn't envision. Begin, may we have that same attitude. Right? May we have biblical clarity and biblical convictions and to know what God has called us to do in scripture and to faithfully live that out. And yet, may we trust that God, uh, if God in his goodness and wisdom and love decides to do something other than what we expected, <clears throat> that we would know him well enough to trust that he is preparing us for something that is far better than we cannot imagine. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, just your guidance in our lives. Um, Father, we confess that so often we are so concerned with the answers. We want to know what's next. We want to have all of the knowledge. And in, in, in that pursuit, Lord, we, uh, we just forget about just the importance of knowing you. And we miss out on just, uh, just the treasure of a relationship with you. So Father, I pray for these college students that you would just grant them um, wisdom, grant them clarity, grant them a humility uh, as they go about making these significant decisions in this season of their life. May they honor you and please you with the decisions that they make. Um, but wherever you lead them, Lord, we, we trust that you are our shepherd. And whatever you bring into our lives, you bring 
out of your love for us and, and that you are guiding us every step of the way. And so God, we thank you for the clarity of scripture. We thank you for um, your guidance in our lives. We love you, God. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.